In this episode of Spirit Levels, we're going to be looking at shredding, the art of losing fat and looking jacked, be that for bodybuilding, gymfluencer photo shoots, or athletes who need to drop a weight class. Let me tell you, everything about this is surreal, from your changing physique, to the head spins, to scenes like this. One half of the motel room is wrapped in plastic like a crime scene. The other half is splattered with a spray of droplets. From my vantage point on the makeup stall, I can see two tanning tents, like the pods in that movie The Fly, with a naked man crouching in each like two Jeff Goldblums. I'm next. The night before, my trainer, Paul Jalian, came to my room. Like me, he's competing at the IFBB Australasian Championships, but it's his 68th competition to my first. Under the harsh bathroom light, he critically assessed my abs. He prescribed, no water tomorrow, and then amended, you can have water if you really need to, but just lick it. Paul instructed me to sleep with my legs elevated by putting the microwave on the bed. That seemed too crazy, so I just rested them on my suitcase. For the past week, peak week, I've had my water, carbohydrates and sodium manipulated with the end goal of a cryovac look, fat sucked away to reveal muscle definition. I'm like a human cabbery curly whirly. If you don't remember that, it's a stretchy chocolate. Never mind, just picture a pork scratching instead. It's the pointy end of a four-month calorie deficit diet with a shit ton of cardio and weightlifting. And it's left me looking grisly, but that's okay. Because if I was going to do this, I wanted to go into full freak mode and embrace the spectacle. You're listening to Spirit Levels, the podcast that pressure tests the wellness industry. I'm journalist Jenny Valentish. Every week with my partner, actor filmmaker Frank McGree, we'll immerse ourselves in wellness practices from the pseudo to the sensible and we'll thresh out the benefits. Frank. Yes. So when I told you I was going to compete in bodybuilding, what did you think? Because I'm the sort of person who, if we're out to dinner, I'm going to be like, are you going to eat that? Yeah, so I thought you'd do really well on the bulking stage. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you did. No, we were in Malta and you couldn't get out of a skirt on the beach. That's so embarrassing. So embarrassing. <laughs> no, I know your dedication to everything you do, so... I thought you'd pull it off, but I didn't think you'd get to look like you did. No, I didn't think so either. I didn't think you'd get your legs, because your legs are quite skinny. Yeah. But then you, your legs in the last week and a half just went <laughs> And your stomach muscles suddenly you just had this ripped six-pack. Every time I look down, it's like a ladder going yeah. up my body. <laughs> and I've sent that photo to some friends, and they said, that's not real. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what you want to hear. fucking is real. <laughs> So why did I do an extreme weight cut, or bodybuilding prep in my case? My younger years were sloppy and marred by chaotic drug use. I now realise I respond well to structure, in the same way a mother knows her toddler needs a rigid schedule. The first clue was becoming a laundry obsessive, but lately I've found myself drawn to recording everything gym and diet related, sets, reps, macros, in a notebook. So during this prep, I've been rising at 5am for an hour of fasted cardio, which is something like the stair mill or the cross trainer, but before breakfast, and slapping my face to stay alert, and then returning later in the day to do a weight session. 
I'm curious as to how far I can push myself in this new discipline direction. I'm swapping do what thou wilt for mustn't and can't. Physically, I'm a Frankenstein's monster. I'm a natural figure competitor on the top half with broad shoulders and a bikini competitor on the bottom half, kind of like some kids flip through one of those mix and match books. Figure means your skin must be dry and vascular. You've got to be leaner at the end of the day. So what does that mean for diet? Well, first, there's the period of bulking. For me, that was about nine months. So that means packing on muscle and eating healthily, but eating quite a lot. Following that, you have your calorie deficit phase. It's probably going to be about four months, depends on how much you need to lose. So for a third of a year, I eat only porridge, chicken, white fish, rice, quinoa, green beans, egg whites, almonds and avo, with the occasional protein bar thrown in without telling my trainer because it's sugar. So that means I'm forever chained to a cooler bag of Tupperware meals. It's restrictive in the extreme. I remember telling my trainer, Paul, I'm not sure how I'll go having chicken every day for a year. And he said, you can swap in turkey. Another time he asked me, are you hungry all the time? And I said, no, like I was head prefect. And he said, well, you should be. I have to drop your portions. We have weekly body scans in the room above the gym where you just stand on this machine and hold on to the uh, handles because we want my weight and body fat to come down obviously. And it does. So I lose eight kilos. But you've got to do it without losing too much muscle mass. That's the trick. Amazingly, as it used to be with my drinking, I'm terrible at pacing myself with exercise. I trained throughout a stint of barley belly and through the week of my father's death in a trance. Extreme, yes, but you don't get to look like a figure competitor just by manifesting it to the universe. So I start to get dizzy a lot. It starts once every few weeks, but it winds up being almost every day. And that's happening as my body fat percentage plummets to 7.9 on the gym's body composition scanner. A healthy range for a woman my age, I'm 48, is in the 20s. But bodybuilders tend to be perfectionists and self-punishers. They're fastidious on internet forums, economical in their in-real-life conversations. And at the gym, they're the ones wearing the no-excuses singlets. As kids, they may have been the ones insisting on only eating orange food or completing a Rubik's Cube in 15 seconds. Sometimes that discipline is sternly applied to others. So in closed Facebook groups, female bodybuilders sometimes admonish, you chose this, or cry in the car and have some more caffeine. They'll also be really supportive. I mean, they'll share recipes like cucumber and cinnamon. That's it, that's a recipe. I've got to say, many people in these groups do admit to having once had an eating disorder, but it just seems to me that that's still the case, only now it's hiding in plain sight. It's legitimised, for this is a sport. But what was it like having your girlfriend's body change like that then? So I remember when Madonna was in her mega fit stage, she split up with Guy Ritchie, her husband, and he made some comments that Sleeping with her was like cuddling up to a bit of gristle. <laughs> and I remember reading that thinking, fuck yeah, I'd love to be a bit of gristle. But what was it like for you? Well, I mean, you're, you're super fit anyway, but when I grabbed you, it was like you're, you're picking up a whippet. Like it was just pure <laughs> muscle. And then towards probably the last three weeks, it probably just didn't look healthy. Yeah. Because you looked up until that point, you looked like the fittest, you know, aerobics instructor. And then you kind of, in the last three weeks, you just went too thin. Yeah. But you understand why, because right at the end, you then just do that big kind of snap bulk and then all the muscles just go. 
Yeah, yeah. There was definitely a tipping point for me too. In fact, about a week before, I had um, I did the body scan in the gym and it, it was 7.9% body fat. And I was thinking, that's too low. <laughs> yeah. And your breasts, obviously. <laughs> with the, with the pecs, home. weren't they? They were pectorials. But to your credit, you would just you just seem like kind of like amazed and interested and curious whenever there was a massive sort of change because each change seemed to happen quite quickly. Yeah, I totally. I was like fascinated. Like there was nothing that it was still really sexy and really um, attractive, but it was and it was really different. Like from the start of your body to the finish, is was really different body. Mm. And so it was like I was going out of a different woman. <laughs> bodybuilding competitions aren't just about muscle they're about posing to show off the muscle so i have posing lessons with nat kitney in mendome an eastern suburb of melbourne her logo is of silhouetted glamorous ladies in pink high heels her studio has giant posters of some of the pros she's coached and the floors are marked with gaffer tape to mock up where you'd stand on a stage. In posing lessons, I learned to flare my lats like a frill-necked lizard. Other moves include take off the jacket, pat the chihuahua, flappy bird, and booty pop. There's a lot of hair flicking, although not as much for me as there would be for a bikini competitor. I mean, I'll be in a bikini too, of course, but there's also a category called bikini, and it's softer and more feminine than the figure category. In figure, you throw in some hands-on-hip, power-pose kind of stuff, a bit Wonder Woman. Nat shows me how to inhale as I engage my lats and then exhale sharply to give more definition to my abs. So kind of like this. <sighs> Basically, you're hyperventilating throughout your routine, which should be interesting once you're on stage under those hot lights, starving, dehydrated, and in high heels you'd never normally wear. Nat is a real sweetheart. She used to be a real estate agent following in the family business, but she gave it all up to teach posing. She believes in creating a real safe, supportive community for her clients. Kind of a soft space to land in a sport that's all about being hard on yourself. I asked Nat, what kind of women are drawn to bodybuilding in the first place? Because I had a theory, of course that maybe people come to it from a, a place of post-crisis and that this literal rebuilding of the body comes from a need for reinvention. Nat says, well, it tends to depend on the person's age. Younger generation, I think it's kind of like, but I want to take the just on Instagram, it helps to build your brand. Like if you're a coach in this industry, it has a lot of power to connect to more people if you compete. So if you put yourself through a prep and you let people follow your journey, you'll bring more followers and possible clients if you're like a fitness coach. But the clients that are a little bit more mature, there's a lot of people that maybe might have like broken up from relationship and they want to then do something for themselves. It's a confidence building thing. For sure. The people that come into this sport are the ones that want to set themselves a goal to do something for themselves. And then what they realize from there is that determination, commitment and motivation ripples into every aspect of their life and changes the game. You've taken yourself mentally, physically, emotionally to a whole nother level that you've never experienced in your life, which is exactly what happened with me. 
I was with my ex-partner at the time. We were into a lot of partying on the weekend, going out, and we were going to Vegas. I just wanted to look good in a bikini at a Vegas pool party. That's it. Long story short, did my show to look good in a bikini, broke up with that partner because I had changed from who I was. I realized that that lifestyle is not what I want to be about. My partner, he's like, you're not doing a show again ever. If you compete again, we're going to break up. And I quote these words, I'll never forget them. I want the fat nap back so that I could party on the weekend and I could do all that. The hardest thing about this sport is when people see you change for the better and they can't accept that, which puts a lot of pressure on yourself, which then makes you assess things in your life. So I think that has a lot to do with the drop-off rate of people in this sport, their circle of influence. I asked Nat what kind of qualities someone needs to excel at this sport. I'm thinking she'll say something like, it's the really alpha ones or people who are self-punishers. So I'm surprised by the answer, but actually I think it's a great answer. It's just more philosophical than I was expecting. I think it's the ones that understand that it's a lifestyle for them. The ones where they're not phased by placing or not placing because to them they've won before they've gotten up on the stage. It's those kind of people that are successful in this sport that they're not relying on the opinion of a judge. Their winning is before they get up. It's like, I know I've done everything possible to get up onto this stage. I control the controllables. They're the people that are successful in the sport because it's not about trophy chasing. By the time peak week hits, you're really running on the smell of an oily rag. But I was actually pretty manic. I was bouncing into the gym for my training sessions, really loud and friendly, on the verge of shouting, actually. For the first half of peak week, all your carbs are cut and I was drinking five litres of water a day. Paul's promise of plentiful carbs on days four to seven fell flat. I'd been picturing overflowing bowls of pasta. He knew full well it would be seven dry rice cakes. Paul's actually going to explain in a few minutes what all that's about. All I was concerned with at that point was when I could eat the mini Snickers and drink the vodka that I'd been promised. Because what happens is, backstage on comp day, you get to have last-minute sugar and alcohol for some extra vascularity and energy. I remember when we flew to Sydney the night before the show and we checked into our motel room. Frank was going out to meet a friend and I made him hide the chocolate and vodka while I was in the bathroom because I didn't trust myself not to spectacularly self-sabotage the night before. And I have to say, he hid them really well because I didn't find them. Instead, I spent the evening standing naked under the aircom, trying to dry the tan that I just had to put on in the room next door, that room with the tanning tents. The show is at the Reevesby Workers' Club, which is a vast complex in the western suburbs of Sydney. Teams of competitors are flown in from Tahiti, Samoa, Vietnam and across the country. Backstage, it's packed with people, pumping their muscles with resistance bands or lying with their legs against the wall to drain them of fluid. My bikini bottoms are unbelievably low-cut, necessitating some double-sided tape from Bunnings. Paul gives me the go-go-go, handing me shots of vodka, chocolate and salty chips to get the veins popping. I'm lubed up by Tracy the Tanner, who's got something or other in a pot, and then my number is called over the thumping beat of ACDC's Thunderstruck. Only it's not properly turned up because this kind of thing happens at competitions all the time. But anyway, I storm on and I strike my first power pose, reveling and tapping in really easily to the sort of showing off that's usually confined to childhood. 
I do enough flappy birds to look like a ground controller guiding in a 747 and the enthusiasm pays off because I take home gold in first timers. Yes, there was more than one competitor. And bronze in masters. It's said that comparison is the thief of joy, but competing felt more like an exercise in getting to know yourself. It's cliched, but it's true. Capped by this delightful hire. And then straight from the stage, of course, I faceplant a gateau in a restaurant upstairs. I'd already picked it up before I went on. And then I head out for a pasta infusion. As every jacked lady on Facebook has warned me, this is where the real discipline starts. Okay, it's time to meet the man of the moment, Paul Jalian, my trainer. Paul has trained about, I think, 350 athletes to the level of competing. And I interview him upstairs uh, above the main room of the gym where the body scan machine is. So it's a room I associate with some drama and tension. But this was a nice kind of um, debriefing after, well, after I've taken home the gold. Paul is warm and funny and generous and he's fun to train with. He's really on the floor of his gym, by which I mean it's not like one of those gyms where you never see the owner and the trainers look like they're there by duress. He's always, always, always there. And he loves to tell a story. And while he's telling you the story, he'll call someone else over and get them to confirm the story. And so there's a real family atmosphere to his gym. I actually started off by asking him how many calories I'd been on per day during the cut because I had no idea. I was on a meal plan. I wasn't calculating my macros. So I just blindly ate what I was told to without really knowing what kind of level of fuel I was running on. The lowest you ever was on was 1,450. That's what the lowest for your body was. And that got you to 7.9%. Yes, it did get hard, but that's part of it. And that's what makes you a great athlete. With the peak week, first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the safe start of the week, we take all the carbs out, so deplete the muscle. So it'll be like a dry sponge. Just have a think about it. Like if for three days you're not having carbs, yes, it's going to be very, very hard because you are digging into every body fat that you have in you to get that injured. So you're going to really deplete everything. You'll probably look the worst three days out from the show and you go, I look worse, I should have stayed the way I looked like last week, it was much better. So then three days before the show, we can't load. So just imagine if your sponge is a little bit damp and you spill a bit of water, that sponge is not going to suck that water. But if it was bone dry, that sponge is going to suck it all up. And that's what's going to happen when you put carbs in. It's going to go straight to the muscle that's going to give that to me, give that to me. And you'll end up looking twice bigger. Everything just pops nicely. There's no new skin anywhere and you look twice as big. What about sodium? What's that doing? Sodium holds fluid and stuff like that. So when you're water loading high, like when you're having six, seven litres a day, it's ideal to drop the sodium low. So then when you're water depleting, then you put the salt up. So the salt is very good because it, it goes into the muscle and it pushes the skin and you get little veins popping out from the salt. If you have no salt in your body you will not see any veins in your body who do you find is drawn to this sport people that expect a lot from themselves whatever job they do whatever house they have whatever car they have it's not enough no matter what they achieve they're always looking for better and better 
like yourself, that you've achieved so much in life and you keep putting hard obstacles in front of you because you you can do more and that's what it is, yeah. Within the first training session, I would know if they got it in them or not. And there's a lot that want the dream, want to be on stage, want to be champions, want to be cheered on, but they don't have it in them. I'll try to make it hard at the start and make it, look, can you put up with this, can you do this? When I first saw you, remember, you said figure and I said to you, no, we'll go bikini because I think your body is more suited for bikini because I didn't know how much I can push you or how, how strong you were physically and how strong your mind is as well. So then you proved me wrong. And no matter how hard the session is, you never gave up. If I say two more, you will do two more reps. And yes, you will be screaming, you were in pain, but you didn't give up. You proved it to me. No person has ever competed in a bodybuilding show on her first show as a figure. Well, I don't know any. They start a bikini, fitness, then they go to figure. But you've just jumped. You jumped two, three steps ahead of everybody else. And you didn't just do it and make numbers. You actually won the show. And what about relationships? How does bodybuilding affect relationships? Ooh, you've got to have a very good partner because they've got to support you. It's kind of a bit of a selfish thing. It's all about me, 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 me. But if you don't have a good team behind you, you can't achieve your greatness. So if your partner keeps whinging or comes home and starts eating McDonald's or KFC in front of you while you're dieting, that's not supportive. And then we get moody We get because we're hungry. So we're angry because we're hungry, you know? So then they've got to understand to back off a little bit and not and not uh, argue about stupid things, you know? Oh, why did you leave the clothes out outside, you know? It's raining, you know? Do you have any idea what I did all day today? I've trained for two hours. I could did cardio for two hours. I'm, I've got no energy in me, you know? That's why they've got to just help you around. And that's what my wife does it for me. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able to compete even once. She actually cooks all my meals. I'm in the process of just wrapping up the interview at this point. And, and then Paul goes, you can ask me about drugs. So I'm like, oh, okay. And so the recorder goes back on. I personally think naturally is much, much better. Even though I'll, I'll admit it, I, I haven't been. Yeah, but it damages the female 100 times more than a male. With us, all it is is testosterone. That's all it is, is testosterone. But with my female athletes, if she comes to me and says... Paul, can you coach me? I want to, but I want to take some drugs and that. I'll, I'll straight away eject myself from the situation. I said, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. I know what some drugs are going to do to her, okay? Um, what the side effects is, and it's massive. It's massive for females. She'll they start having a square jaw. They start looking manly, hairy faces. Messed up shit they'll have. They'll have down there, there's parts grow and things like that. And guess what? It'll happen at the end. My coach pushed that stuff on me. I didn't want to do it. Look at what happened to me. They're never going to admit that it was their stuff up. <laughs> so that's why I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's why I'm so glad, Jenny, that you never asked me for it. As you know, the whole time I prepped you from bulking to cutting, yes, there is easy way to grow quicker, to put so much muscle quicker and to cut even easier. There's a lot of drugs that you can take that you, 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 you hardly do have to do any cardio. You, you know how much you suffer with cardio. If if I give you some tablets, like clean bureau tablets and stuff like that, that, half of that cardio, you wouldn't have to do it. But we didn't want to go that path. For the records, I entered this non-drug-tested federation, IFBB, where women might be using drugs because in the past I've written about 
visiting an anti-aging doctor and trying a testosterone cream, which I can guarantee you wouldn't have affected my performance, particularly as it was three years earlier. But I also tried a peptide the year before for three months before deciding against it because it was knocking my periods out of whack instantly. Peptides are a whole another episode, so we're going to get to that in more detail. But in this period of bulking and prepping for the comp, I didn't use any drugs other than half a diuretic the night before to lose water weight, which was crushed up in my motel room like it was something illicit. Very funny. We want to do it naturally and we want to prove to the world that you can be a champion in an IFBB stage, the oldest federation in the world, that you can be the champion. And you should be proud of yourself for not taking any drugs and achieve your goal without any drugs. What would you do differently if you had your time over again? I think I worry about things less. There's a lot of fear of the unknown. So, like, just the words peak week, in my mind, I'd sort of conflated it with hell week, which is what the Navy SEALs do. Um, It sounds like it's going to be really awful. Whereas in actual fact, it wasn't, because it was the final furlong, and you're like, fuck yeah, and I was quite manic. Mm. Yeah, you were manic, Mm. in a good way, though. Yeah, I was happy. Yeah. So I'd heard things like, you know, if you have a diuretic, somebody told me, because you're already really dehydrated, because you're not allowed to drink any water the final day, the diuretic kind of like squeezes the moisture out of your heart muscle. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to die. And you hear about people collapsing backstage. So there was a lot of fear I had that it was probably um, unnecessary, given I wasn't taking other drugs and things. What What about the fear of you going onto stage like a performance because you would have had that anxiety about it but you smashed it when you went out there because you you treated it like a performance and you were smiling and you know you were very vivacious more so than than the girls that had the experience doing it I had actually very little anxiety about that um the anxiety was more over there's a whole bunch of things you got to do on show day beforehand um, you know, tan this makeup and hair. And and so it was more like anxiety of any one of those things could fall over. Including the high heels. <laughs> Including me in the high heels. <laughs> so I wasn't nervous about going on stage at all. And that's the fantastic thing about having done Muay Thai fighting is I've been punched in the face in front of a crowd onto my ass. Yeah. I'm not scared of going on stage in high heels and yeah, doing some posing. But it is a different thing. It's like, it's like, kind of a performance of acting as opposed to a sport. Like in a sport, you have to literally go into a moment, a survival moment. But whereas what you were doing, in a sense, was performance. Yeah, but without having to learn lines, you know. So I could have, okay, gone blank and forgotten the posing. And I did forget a couple of things. But you could bluff it. And I just thought this is going to be over so quickly. And afterwards, I get to eat a cake. Oh, that's what I do differently. So the whole prep, I was thinking about what I could eat afterwards and where we were going to go to eat, what restaurants we were going to go to and made, you know, lots of promises to different people. We're going to go out and do this and that pizza here, you know. And I've heard from more seasoned bodybuilders now. It's the wrong way to look at it because as soon as you finish, you absolutely gorge yourself for Sometimes people do it for months and if you can undo your hard work in a couple of weeks if you really try. What you're supposed to do instead is just not think about that. Yeah. And then once you, you know, once you've competed, you, you will go out here and there, but 
don't turn it into this massive reward at the end that's just gonna keep going for yeah, weeks it's healthy. Mm. hey side note and this is a big side note the wisdom is you're supposed to reverse out of bodybuilding prep which is to say you keep eating the exact same fucking foods and gradually increase the calories i did not and i paid for it everything i ate or drank like alcohol absolutely killed me because if you think about it i've been on a really hardcore elimination diet but with that, you're supposed to reintroduce different foods gradually, not all at once. But then about two weeks out, I realized the bullet I thought I'd dodged of not losing my periods, which can happen when you lose a lot of weight, was not dodged. I mean, I still have them, but I have all the symptoms of hormonal imbalance. My body has responded to all the mixed messages of PrEP with a kind of civil war of estrogen, histamine and cortisol. It feels like all the systems in my body have finally collapsed, a bit like the way we like to think that dying people hang on in there to see us one last time before letting go. That's dramatic. But I'm getting allergic reactions like hives and general inflammation. Actually, it's why I sound kind of blocked up on this episode, so I'm sorry about that. Normal service will resume. In other words... Despite me looking the fittest I've ever been, my health is at its lowest. I'm keen for it to be all over because I feel like um, when you're doing something like this, your world narrows to such an extent that it's a bit like being an elderly person where you've just got one or two topics of conversation and you're painfully aware of that. In part, it's because we haven't been going out and mm. socialising we haven't been creating experiences. No. So for argument's sake, how would you feel if I wanted to do this again? Um, I, I don't think I'd want you to. For not just selfish reasons of it's not that much fun because we're not going out. But it just doesn't seem that healthy. Mm. I mean, it does from the point of view that I end up eating healthier food because you're eating healthier food. But I just think that the training and what you put yourself through is ultimately as a one-off is fine. But I think if you did that again and got into it, I think it'd be healthy for you. But also you kind of give yourself an eating disorder. Mm. Like there was a few times when you went, oh, God, I feel fat. And you're like <laughs> like 10 kilos less than you were when you started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know what classifies an eating disorder, but it, it is like at least being temporarily dunked into one. But also, do you, do you find yourself looking at people and and critiquing their bodies more than you would have? No, right? not at all. No, no, you're only you're only focused on your own. So when I came out of the bath, you weren't going. Oh, I was gee, saying, oh my god, oh, gee, he, could, he could lose a couple of kilos. Yeah, I reckon. No way. Good. No. No. <laughs> no, because it makes you myopic. So. You're only concerned with your own appearance. If you're going to be competing against someone, then maybe you'd be checking out their physique. But otherwise, it's all about you, baby. Mm. You became very self-obsessed. Mm. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you didn't. You're actually good at all the stuff that people said where your relationships were going to go to shit. Not just your romantic relationship, but it definitely was not the case in, with you. We had a lot of sex, but towards the pointy ends of prep, it was like, I didn't quite have the energy to push it over the line for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can't waste that energy of having an I orgasm. Know, I can't. <laughs> I need that calorie. <laughs> I wonder how many calories an orgasm burns. It's got to burn. Too many for me. No, it's got to burn heaps. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to Spirit Levels. Thank you so much this episode to my trainer, Paul J. Ilian from Empire Fitness in Rosebud and to posing coach, Nat Kitney. Some of the script for this episode came from a story I wrote for Sunday Life magazine, which comes out with the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. 